Okay, and welcome back to the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. Can't believe it, but this is uh, podcast number 14. I can't believe we've done this many, and also there'll be many more to follow, I promise. So today, folks, I have Sean Wells from Texas. Uh, Hi, Sean. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. Um, So just to introduce you, I know we've been talking off-air just briefly, but uh, for those of you that don't know Sean, Sean is one of my colleagues at the ISSN. He's uh, both on the advisory board and also one of the uh, reviewers on the uh, Journal of um, International Society of Sports Nutrition. Um, he has an MS in Nutritional Biochemistry. He's a registered dietitian and also a CISSN, a certified sports nutritionist. Um, Sean is a little different from many of the guests that we've had on um, insofar as, as you've guessed so far, a lot of our guests are sort of PhDs or researchers, that sort of thing. Uh, We've had one or two expert practitioners on the show. Sean, um, I wanted to get on because uh, although he's he's obviously a practitioner as both a CISSN and a a registered dietitian, um, he's also um, an expert in the industry when it comes to things like sports nutrition product formulations. Um, he's, he's been heavily involved in the formulation, the R&D, uh, uh, and all things relating to sports nutrition supplements from an industry perspective. And um, the reason why, Sean, uh, I wanted you on here, because as we were talking at the uh, last ISSN um, conference, the annual conference in uh, Clearwater in Florida, and uh, there was a couple of fascinating topics that you were talking about, and also you inferred a few things in the great uh, lecture that you that you gave, which is why I wanted to get you get you on this podcast. Um, yeah, so let's just jump straight into this. Uh, I've already okay. sort of introduced you as being um, an expert in a number of things, and um, I think the first topic let's let's get into would be this this sort of some background behind sports nutrition supplements and some of the sort of issues and concerns that people should be aware of because I think it's fair to say that a lot of people, particularly consumers, they all think, you know, like protein powders, for example, it's all the same stuff. It's all from the same place. They're all made the same way. Uh, I think there's a a certain healthy skepticism amongst some buyers where they're like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, there's stuff is written on the label about super duper manufacturing processes and so on and so forth. But, I mean, there really are actually some pretty some pretty scary sort of scams and other things that, that are going on. And I, I'm, I'm sure that, that what you're about to say is probably more relevant to what happens in the United States. But of course, that, that this will pretty much spread to the rest of the world, I, I would imagine, in terms of, of, of the industry behind sports supplements. Right. And, and there's always been scams in the industry and, and there always will be scams in, in all aspects of business. And that goes from the suppliers coming from China. That goes from uh, the co-manufacturers. There, there's a lot of corners being cut. It's very difficult uh, as someone that makes a product, finished goods, to, to vet your suppliers, to vet your co-manufacturers, and, and do things the correct way. Because you're also competing against uh, a large number of people that are not doing things the correct way. I mean, think about it of like, here's an example is, you know, there's all these guys in baseball that are using performance enhancing drugs and you're not, you know, and, and you're trying to get the same salary, you're trying to be in the same class and it's difficult. And so it's, it's very tempting to a lot of companies 
to go this path. And and one prime example right now would be that there is uh, what I like to call nitrogen spiking. And when I was with uh, the company I was with prior, uh, that's based out of Dallas, Texas, uh, that's very big in protein, uh, we uncovered this. And we were trying to figure out how these companies are, you know, that you might see in Walmart and some of these uh, low-cost stores, how they're coming out with the whey protein at this price. And so we had them tested. And sure enough, almost half the protein in there is not protein. So, so what's happening? How, how do they do that? Um, so just adding, to, just to help mm-hmm. us, on, so so what you're saying is that that there's these cheap protein powders, which of course you're right. I mean, mm-hmm. all these these sort of mega supermarkets, and we have them over here in the UK, and I'm sure in uh, uh, other countries, these listeners, and in uh, and of course they're they're sort of cut price products. But they're claiming mm-hmm. to have like this high levels of protein, and that's what you're saying, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so how do they do that? Uh, is is probably the question. And so, if you see ingredients on the label, especially, I mean, they're telling you essentially if there's taurine, glycine, creatine, things like that on the label, and they're calling this part of the you know super protein blend or whatever they're calling it. Those ingredients are nitrogen-based ingredients. Those are amino acids or amino acid metabolites. Um, so what's happening is they do a Keldahl test, and the Keldahl test is very simple. It just tests for nitrogen, and then you do a conversion factor for dairy protein, for soy protein, for whatever. And so if there's whey in the product, it's considered a whey protein. You know, even if there's other wow. types of protein in it, yeah. like soy and, and other things. So what happens is they'll test, they'll do the conversion, and they'll call it protein. So it was found out years ago that essentially, whoa, you know, some of these amino acids we're adding are, are getting counted as protein. Now, what happened was about two, three years ago, way spiked up dramatically in cost. There was yeah. a global shortage. And here are these amino acids that are half the price of whey, and you have things like creatine that actually test out gram for gram like about 1.3 times as much protein as protein. <laughs> plus, yeah. plus you don't have, you know, just because of the nitrogen content in, in the molecule, plus you don't have the fat, the carbohydrate, the sugar. So their label looks incredible they can come in at a super low price. They have very high protein level. And meanwhile, you know, like it, there's one product I'm thinking of in, in particular. They even have a warning on there that says, you may see uh, crystalline material in the product that's no concern. That's the taurine or whatever. And people think, oh, that's okay. It's just, you know, it's, it's extra. It's extra benefit. It, whatever taurine does for me, great. But they're not realizing that that's getting counted as protein, and you can actually there's so much of it that you can actually see it in your chocolate protein, essentially. Um, wow, that's pretty scary, isn't it? Because it is, I, it I, is. I, so I, I didn't even know that really until you had mm-hmm, raised that, mm-hmm. and and I and I think a lot of people do have this sort of more is better mentality. They're not necessarily quality driven, but I mean, not everyone understands what makes a quality protein, and and they're just going to look at the label and go. Okay, well, I'm just going to look at it quantitatively and go, 
more protein, yeah, that's better for me. Uh, or of course, you know, more leucine, that's better for me. Uh, so I mean, what I mean, what do we? I mean, how you know how how can we detect this stuff anyway? I know you just mentioned that there's a few amino acids. Uh, I mean, is this really rife? Is it is it something that that happens so, amongst many companies or? Uh, well, they're starting. Uh, we actually drove a lot of the the messaging around this and uh, and worked with some labs around this. And I think there's even starting to be some class action lawsuits that that are that are slowly moving forward on this, and and hopefully more people know. And you know, your podcast will certainly help. So hmm. ways to kind of look for this is one: look on the label and see if they're adding those ingredients: taurine, glycine, creatine. It doesn't guarantee that they're counting it as protein, but it should raise a red flag. But even in a, Two, like an all-in-one all product, because they're really popular in the UK. Like yeah, the all in, well, the all-in-one products is probably where it's easiest to do it. Honestly, I I would yeah. probably just buy a quality whey protein that has nothing else, and then buy your other ingredients. Yeah. So, uh, and then the other place to look would be the amino acid profile panel if they have one. And you can look, so 25 grams of, of whey protein should have about 2.8 grams of leucine. Now, whether they include taurine on that amino acid profile panel or, or whatever it is, glycine, um, look to see if your 25 grams of whey protein has 2.8 grams of leucine. And if it doesn't, then most most likely they're they're spiking it, and where that's a problem is there's research done uh, in the past that that 1.7 grams was enough for a very young person to to turn on uh, muscle protein synthesis uh, of leucine, but as we age, as you know, like there's there's many reasons that this might happen and and uh, Dr. Gabriel Wilson and I kind of theorized on some of them in that talk that you were alluding to yeah. at the ISSN. But um, there is a uh, um, a leucine, um, uh, the word is escaping me, but uh, I guess insensitivity. It's, oh, it's okay. not the best word. Yeah. And uh, as you get older, essentially. And so it's more difficult to turn on pro muscle like protein. A non, like a non-responder or a... Well, yeah, as you age, it, it take it, they're finding that it takes more and more leucine oh, to okay. turn on muscle protein synthesis. So yeah. that's the reason you're getting this sarcopenic obesity over time. Essentially, you're you're gaining more fat and losing more muscle because you're not turning on muscle protein synthesis as easy. So where this becomes a problem is you know, bodybuilders are buying, and, and all people, you know, whether it's, you know, your grandparents or a bodybuilder, whoever, are buying this protein mainly for lean body mass and to turn on muscle protein synthesis. So what if, you know, you're getting all this glycine, taurine, creatine, things that aren't necessarily bad. Mm. I mean, they're fine uh, in, in a vacuum. You know, they may have some some benefit, but certainly creatine has, has benefit. But but you're not getting the level of leucine that you should be getting. And so now, are you turning on muscle protein synthesis, period? And and that's where, to me, a class action lawsuit definitely comes into play. One, you're deceiving the consumer. They think they're buying protein, and they're not. Two, essentially, there's some level of, of harm 
and you know maybe not harm to, to the bodybuilder in terms of you know physical harm but I mean they're, they're not getting the results they want but then think about people that are you know we're RDs you know we're working in a hospital and I, I've worked with burn patients I've worked with people that have sarcopenia I've worked with people that have cachexia you know cancer yeah. What if their protein yeah. doesn't have enough leucine in it to turn on muscle protein synthesis? What yeah. are the results? People could be dying because of this game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sad, isn't it? And it is a sad truth that there is a great deal of uh, misleading going on. I mean, of late, there's been all kinds of fracas going on about supplement supplement labeling laws. Certainly over here in the UK, there's been similar things. But you know, one sort of thinks, well, protein's protein, right? Uh, of course, on this podcast, I've had people like Professor Stu Phillips and Kevin Tipton and so on uh, talking about the quality of mm -hmm. protein and amino acids uh, on the ISSN diploma program, which your lecture, by the way, was filmed for. Um, the, uh, we've had Dr. Lee Breen uh, and uh, Dr. Lane Norton as well, who's also been on this. Uh, mm -hmm. on this. And... Uh, uh, um, uh, Dr. Wilson uh, has also been um, uh, on here as well. So Jacob Wilson, that is Gabriel's brother, uh, and we've all talked about that. But right. but but I think that as practitioners, as consumers, we do take it for granted. And I think what they're listening here is probably going to be a bit of an eye opener for lots of people. I think we're we're accustomed to the idea of quality. I mean, are, are there other components to quality behind? A protein powder that you think are worth discussing here, uh, as well as the uh, what you've mentioned. Yeah, well, another another popular scam is that you can add vegetable proteins like soy or rice into the protein blend, and again, uh, when you test it out at a lab and they do the Keldahl test, it's if you have any whey in there, it's considered a whey protein blend, and it gets that higher nitrogen conversion factor. Now, uh, you know that uh, you you talked about protein quality, that obviously these vegetable mm -hmm. proteins have a lower um, protein quality in terms of what it's providing in terms of uh, bioavailability and, and amino acids. So, you know, they'll add, again, these cheaper proteins. And there's multiple paths that they can take to make these proteins cheaper and get them out there and have higher profit margins. So they'll benefit from this higher nitrogen conversion factor across the board that they shouldn't be getting. Soy has a lower nitrogen conversion factor. Rice has a lower nitrogen conversion factor. But because they're in there with the whey, probably along with taurine, glycine, creatine, and everything else, there's multiple angles of scamming the consumer. Yeah, well, not just the consumer, the practitioner too. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I... I uh, I think uh, I think this stuff's extremely important. So, what about some other components? Then uh, you hear about sort of other terms applied to uh, protein powders. Since we're talking about protein powders, so you know they talk about like sort of various filtration methods, cold mm -hmm. processed, um, uh, micro filtered, or whatever uh, cross flow filtration. I mean, what are, is, there, is there anything there that that's relevant? A scam or misleading? Uh no, I, there's there's some some truth to that. Um, it just depends where there can be some scams. Is one protein supplier may do some of the things that they're talking about, like uh, the the cold microfiltration uh, that you're 
talking about is is kind of the most ideal uh, type of processing versus anything that involves higher heat or an ion exchange way, which has uh, lower bioavailability um, and more chance for denaturing uh, the protein. So the the best quality uh, would be the uh, microfiltration, the crossflow microfiltration that's cold filtered. And there's certain suppliers that have that capacity. The question is, most companies are using a co-manufacturer. They're not manufacturing these these products themselves. Yeah. And they'll just find out some buzzwords on protein and they'll just put it on their label. And chances are the co-manufacturer is just getting away from whoever, whenever, that's the cheapest. Mm. You know, essentially it's it's often considered a commodity unless you set up your own spec that's very tight, your own specifications. Uh, then the co-manufacturer will just go out and shop, you know, 20 different places to find the cheapest whey protein concentrate, WPC80 or WPI90. And and it's that simple. They're looking at commodities. And really, it's not a commodity, especially if you're making specific call-outs. There's only certain manufacturers that have that high-level capacity to do those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I always find it interesting because, like here in the UK, we have... I mean, we don't have as many brands as you do in the States, of course, but we do have a lot. I mean, it is big business over here, too. And there's several of the big monster brands um, in the UK. And actually, the raw ingredient, the, 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 the raw material for the whey protein comes from the same supplier. <laughs> and what's hilarious mm-hmm. is when you look at the, the data and the, the marketing materials that, that these companies give you on their protein powders. It's really quite varied about what they're saying, what's in there, and and uh, obviously there are similarities, but in reality, it's the same stuff from the same place. And people don't realize that most of these supplement companies are simply uh, relabeling or, or repackaging uh, products that come from, you know, from a, a, a supplier, just like like many other things you buy in the shops, you know, and uh, clothing isn't necessarily manufactured uh, by your uh, high-end British designer. It's probably coming from uh, from China or somewhere. So since right. uh, I think that's a perfect segue to the next chat then, um, because, you know, w- w- these products have to be sourced, obviously. And, um, you know, they, they come from somewhere and it isn't necessarily from within the, the UK or the US. It might come from some weird part of the world that doesn't necessarily have the same quality assurance and safety records that we do. Uh, do you want to elaborate a bit more on the sourcing of products? Well, we sure, sure. With, with protein, um, m- most likely it comes from places like the US or or England mm. uh, but it can also come from uh, New Zealand uh, Brazil is actually uh, a place mm. that it's there's there's a good bit coming from uh, and and even China uh, but uh, but obviously with dietary supplements in general um, when you look beyond just the scope of protein many ingredients come from China I would say 90% of our ingredients come from China even the branded ingredients that you're buying from the US or the ingredients that you're getting from a distributor in the US if you're a smaller smaller company and you don't have the ability to buy large volumes and you just go through a distributor that they're getting them from China so all those ingredients really are coming from China Um, 
and it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, you can't. It's not easy to uh, to obviously walk through their their facilities and and see what's right and what's wrong. Uh, it's getting better. Some of them are becoming GMP, good manufacturing practices, uh, over there. And and certainly there's a lot of testing now going on around ingredients. If you're a bigger company, yeah. yeah. So. So you can take these ingredients and, and go to these third-party labs. You know, you say, send me a sample, and, and you test it out and see if it meets your criteria. You know, it has the active it's supposed to have. It doesn't have the microbials that it shouldn't have. It doesn't have the heavy metals that it shouldn't have. And it's ideal for you, and then you can use it. But but China is, is a little bit like the... Uh, ironically the wild west <laughs> even though it's the wild east i guess mm. but um but you know it, you're just not sure what you're going to get where and it takes some work to figure out what's the best uh place to source from yeah. and and there's really kind of like you were just talking about with protein there's actually only about three uh, main reactors in China, like three main places that are making these ingredients, and then they're getting pushed out to all these different companies in China, and then people are buying them from those from those companies. Right. So another thing that can actually happen is that at these suppliers in China, uh, if you're trying to be NSF or Informed Choice, um, if if these facilities are processing ingredients like DMAA or AMP citrate or some of these ingredients that aren't Deshea compliance and are banned across many uh, athletic organizations or potentially even your job for that matter mm. um, you know you can actually test positive if your creatine maybe comes into that blender next you know where it gets processed uh, it's 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 very interesting to, to see how many ingredients, if you try and do NSF testing or, or informed choice, how many ingredients actually test positive from China for some of these banned substances because they test down the parts per billion and you'll test positive at that point. So that's, that's another concern about uh, when you're sourcing from China is, is really looking at, at some of the banned ingredients and, and testing down to those levels. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, actually, this is such a, a fascinating subject that uh, I'm going to have a future uh, podcast all about um, uh, supplement testing and banned substances and so on. We had uh, on the ISSN diploma program, we had uh, Inform Sport came in, uh, HFL Labs, who, uh, yes. who are yep. now out with you guys in the States, of course, and, and over here mm -hmm. too, um, gave us some lectures on, on that topic. And uh, it was mind boggling. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think uh, for, for the non-athletes who have caught, you know, the athletes obviously need to be looking at uh, getting supplements that have been tested for banned substances. But of course, having a supplement that is tested for banned substances doesn't mean that it's also tested uh, to, exactly. have, to have the good stuff in it. So whilst it may right. be free of, of, uh, of uh, 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 stuff that might get you into trouble, it may not necessarily be giving you what you think it is either uh so this is a i mean it's a pretty uh it's a pretty scary topic really and like exactly say, it's sort of wild west exactly. and wild east. Yep. um so uh, i mean what are the uh the main concerns that go behind the formulation of, the, of these products then uh I mean, one obviously you have to formulate to price, mm. and you have to stay within that within that area, and that and that's where I've gotten really good at at sourcing 
from China and vetting out my suppliers, testing them out consistently. Now I know who to source from. And, and it gives me the room to formulate what I feel like is the best product. I always want to put the most in there that I possibly can, you know, if I'm given a limit. And, of course, you're always given a limit in terms of it's called COGS on the business side, cost of goods sold. And so if you're raw ingredients, and then, of course, you know, there's going to be packaging costs and, and kind of putting the whole product together with your label and the bottle and the cotton and the sealing and, and all that kind of stuff, shipping. So... You know, one is is working within that within that cost, and then and then two, obviously, you're sending those ingredients out um, for for testing on the samples to the third party lab. Then three, a big step that you have to do is a pilot run, and that's where you you know get all the ingredients that that you feel are, are correct, and, and you run it on on the uh, on the manufacturing. Uh, equipment at that facility that you're planning to running run your full-scale production at and you do a small run and you know say it's a thousand bottles ten thousand bottles it depends how big you are and then you take that product and you test it as finished good and sometimes things happen uh, when things are manufactured that that you're not gonna see when you're testing out the individual ingredients sometimes ingredients cross-react uh, sometimes there's mistakes made when when things are getting batched at your co-manufacturer. Uh, there's a lot of things you know. There's you, a lot of times you have to put in overages of ingredients just mm-hmm. because manufacturing or they can oxidize over time. You have to actually test out at the two-year mark of what's on your label, not just when it's made. So that's where you actually have to do, then you take that pilot as well as when you do a a real production run and you do stability work. And that's under accelerated, uh, like in in an accelerated chamber and where it's under heat. um, And you look at, it's simulating what would be a two-year life cycle um, where each, each, uh, each week equals a month, essentially. And so you can look at you know what's happening to this product over time, not just when it's tested, and that's when you start including overages. And the FDA wants to see this. So with vitamins, especially, sometimes you have to include, you know, for let's say B12, like two, three hundred percent the level wow. of yeah. what's on the label, hmm. because because uh, of the way that it it rapidly degrades. So um, you know that there's a lot to actually consider uh, that you learn kind of along the way. So. Yeah, I, th- I mean, you know, this stuff is is fascinating. I know uh, most of our podcasts are sort of about nutritional rocket science, and of course, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, you you have a master's degree in nutritional biochemistry, so I know you're uh, more than capable of going into that. But sometimes I just like to remind people, both consumers and lay people, and obviously the practitioners of which there are many listening, and sports scientists and nutritional scientists and so on, that, that basic things like, it doesn't matter how clever you are about your formulation of a product or, you know, on paper, or how amazingly, you know, fantastic you think this product's going to help support a person. At the end of the day, it can just boil down to being utterly useless because the consumer's being scammed in in reality because it's not doing what it says on the label. Um, so having the 
the knowledge about these things, like the nitrogen spiking, I think is uh, 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 one of huge concern, um, particularly when you consider so many products are combination products. Uh, we have, like mm -hmm. in the UK, these sort of ready-to-drink products, or these all-in-ones, as they call them over here. Mm -hmm. um, and they've all got, as far as I can tell, a lot of those ingredients you're referring to, uh, um, you know, creatine and various other things. And, of course, they're... Uh, you know, boasting superpower levels of protein and various other things, and of course that that might be open to a bit of controversy. Which mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's good to think, and it's good to to understand that these things are happening. It doesn't mean that the product you're holding or looking at is doing any of this stuff, but correct. Just 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 buying it because you're assuming it says what it you know it does what it says on the tin uh, on the label. Um, is you know it is an assumption, and we should never make assumptions about these things. And um, I, I, I think that I mean we could talk for many hours about many other topics on this subject. But um, I mean, is there is there is there any sort of any other areas relating to scams or sort of concerns or uh, issues with um, with products you wanted to raise? Well, another one that you just made me think of along the lines of protein that's popular is the. Uh, is the protein shots um, yeah. and and also like the gels and things like that. Those typically are collagen, hydrolyzed collagen, which has a biological value of seven. And, you know, it may be great for hair, skin, and nails, but it's not so great for bodybuilding purposes or <laughs> muscle building purposes because there's, for all intents and purposes, pretty much no leucine in that. Hmm. And I can think of a company that's that's very popular in the U.S. that included a bunch of that actually in their in their protein powder. Uh, and again, with the last company I was with, we tested it out, and it has a uh, well, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to allude to to who it is, but no, it's again, worrying. it's a it's yeah. a it's a very very popular company, yeah. and it's not even one of the cheap products that's. That's in the uh, that's in like a Walmart or something like that, like we were talking about before. But sure, sure, sure. But, but again, this is this is a huge scam. Is yeah. you know calling that protein and it has pretty much no value whatsoever as far as uh, as far as bodybuilding purposes. So along those lines, because um, you've made me think of something now, which is um, there seems to be a growth in the popularity of vegan or vegetarian protein powders. Uh, and I know you mentioned a little bit before about rice proteins and so on, but you know a lot of these people are now claiming that their products are just as good as you know the dairy proteins. And I've I've got into these topics a little bit with some of the other experts we have on the show. But I mean, is there anything along those lines, particularly as it relates to sort of vegan or vegetarian products, that you feel um, is worth highlighting? Well. Uh so it depends how you're looking at things and uh is protein protein no i mean obviously the the speed isn't there you're not going to have there's a lot of growth factors and immune factors that are in whey i actually prefer whey protein concentrate over whey protein isolate for that reason um and we know that those are incomplete proteins that are going into uh, that are, that are these vegetable proteins. So yes, you can get complementary proteins. Yes, you can improve your amino acid profile by adding several and kind of looking at it like that. But we do know that whey among all protein sources is highest gram for gram in leucine. And what is the key 
the turning on muscle protein synthesis, as we know, and it's highest in BCAAs, which are anti-catabolic, as we know. Mm. So why, you know, why choose other sources? I mean, yes, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, yes, that makes sense. I mean, that's what you have to do. But I might look at taking a fermented leucine, which you can buy, which is vegan, and and adding it to your protein. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, we've certainly discussed in previous podcast certainly in other lectures on our uh, isis and deployment program about uh, you know leucine can rescue an otherwise poor value protein in that regard um, but of course one has to you know has to think well why would i even want to do that um, and of course there are those that have philosophical or other reasons why they're going down the vegan or vegetarian path but i think it's worth saying particularly for the for the more consumers out there that may not know as much as some of us about this stuff, that that just because the label says it's a good quality source of protein, that's kind of playing with words a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, since this is podcast fourteen, I think uh, I think anyone by this podcast will have will have, will have extracted a fair bit of information about protein and protein quality. Will realise that that there is a, there is a point to having high a high biological value of protein. Uh, but of course, it's context. Um, I uh, I always have to mention context in uh, in uh, in these podcasts, and uh, this does, of course, relate to other things like obviously the other food they've got in their diet. And you know, we're not suggesting that um, the only way to achieve these goals is through taking supplements, of course. But um, for those that do take supplements, um, which is an awful lot of people, it's well worth addressing these points that we've gotten into so um well look we're out of time um the idea behind this was to to have a nice uh, relatively uh, uh, uh sort of short and focused podcast on this particular topic so i'd like to thank you sean for your time it's been brilliant uh, i appreciate it i'd love to get you back on again and uh on the next time we'll, we'll get into some nutritional biochemistry so we can uh uh, up the rocket science and um, I, <laughs> sounds uh, good yeah I'm, I you know it's just we, we've got a lot of these podcasts are, are, are quite sciencey and um, this is a topic that I felt needed to be discussed um, so for those of you that are listening wanted more juicy science uh, I think you know I think it's important that that, that sometimes we, we focus on the basics and and uh, uh, this particular podcast is important in that regard. So, um, well, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you again, Sean. Um, and Thank you. Uh, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Uh, if you want to learn more about the We Do Science podcast series, you can find out more about us and what we're doing and all the other podcasts at guruperformance.com. We're also on iTunes, but you can get this on uh, Android via the various apps um you've heard me refer to the issn diploma program uh for those of you that are into uh or looking for a postgraduate education um in sports and exercise nutrition please go to issndiploma.com where you can learn more about that and of course more about the issn uh and everything that we're up to so uh, my name's laurel bannock and i look forward to bringing another podcast to you very soon